Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. It is great to be with you on a Friday. Crazy thing happened to me today when I was driving on the freeway. I'll tell you a little bit about it later, but it made me think about the whole topic of abortion and where our level of responsibility and culpability is for our neighbor, those we encounter day to day um, for what's happening in the abortion clinics in the area we are in. So I'll tell you a story of what happened uh, and just everything that kind of went through my mind in this pro-abortion culture that we still live in. Roe vs. Wade has been overturned. Praise the Lord. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do as the battle over abortion returns to the states. I'm looking forward later on today to talking about the theology of distraction. We've been talking um, with experts, especially in your aisle, on the topic of distraction, overcoming that with sound um, scientific and psychological data. So we're going to unpack the theological side of that and where virtue and the right virtues are necessary to combat that distraction that occurs as we're discussing. But joining me today on Trending is Dr. Fitz Baumgartner. He is a surgeon at Lakewood Regional Medical Center in Southern California. He is a staunch pro-life physician. He's written actually quite extensively on the topic of ethics and morality surrounding abortion, euthanasia, all those bioethical topics that for some reason in our culture today, because because we see people doing things with white medical coats, we think that makes it okay. So joining me to talk about the Hippocratic Oath and what current medical students think about the Hippocratic Oath, uh, the purpose of the Hippocratic Oath, uh, and then also to talk about the American Medical Association's stance in abortion is Dr. Fritz Baumgartner. Dr. Fritz Baumgartner, welcome to Trending Today. Hi, Timory. So nice to be with you today. And uh, two hours ago, I was with um, um, with Father Spitzer, Father Robert Spitzer, who says hello to you. Oh, hello to Father Spitzer. We love Father Spitzer uh, and a, as a friend, but also here um, on the show. Fantastic topics, brilliant mind to talk to. Uh, Dr. Fritz, I'd love to dive into a lot of this. You come from a sound medical background. You graduated from UCLA. You took the Hippocratic Oath at graduation. Um, I want to talk about that Hippocratic Oath in a little bit here and the current attitude of current medical students surrounding that. I know you published some research data on that, which is fascinating. But before we go there, I was astounded when the American Medical Association released its statement uh, within the day of Roe versus Wade being overturned back in June. And they made comments about abortion that go so fundamentally against what it should mean to be a doctor. They claimed that the overturning Roe versus Wade was disturbing, um, that it was a precedent uh, for reproductive health and medicine. Um, they were claiming that the government shouldn't step into the medical examination room. Uh, they went on and on in their claims and arguments as to why they 
they were deeply disturbed by the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, but anyone who knows a little bit of the history of the American Medical Association might balk at the hypocrisy of this claim. I'd like to hear your thoughts on what the current position of the American Medical Association is on abortion and where it has been in the past. Well, the American Medical Association, as you mentioned, came out very strongly against the Dobbs decision. And um, basically, they said it was an egregious allowance of government intrusion into the medical examination room. Um, it, it was really a strong condemnation by the American Medical Association of the Dobbs decision. But the problem is, it seems like they've forgotten a couple of things. Number one, what does the Hippocratic Oath actually say? And number two, what does the American Medical Association say? What did they say, in fact, um, 150 years ago about abortion? The words that they used are really staggering, and, and Timory, I hope you quote some of those things that the American Medical Association itself said about abortion and abortionists, and the prophecy that the American Medical Association made if abortion was embraced by society. And you look around and say all the prophecies that the American Medical Association made are coming to fruition. Let's talk about what those, some of those prophecies are in a moment here. But before we do, I do think it is astounding that the American Medical Association in their 2022 statement uh, by Jack Resnick, who's the president of the American Medical Association, um, commented about how um, reproductive health as legal, federally legal, to have an abortion at any point in your pregnancy is a precedence and that that precedent should be overturned. But wasn't it a precedence for the American Medical Association to unanimously be against abortion and many of the other so-called reproductive technologies and things such as and euthanasia that were I mean, unheard of in the American Psychological Association even just 100 years ago or even 60 years ago? That's right. That's right. Uh, medical associations change their mind. Um, and, you know, if they were really honest, they would look back at what they themselves said. And it's easily accessible. Uh, you know, the archives of the American Medical Association actually have the documents where they themselves explicitly and vociferously condemned abortion. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about that. So I want to go to some of the predictions that the American Medical Association made if um, they were to compromise on their position on abortion. Uh, where do we start with this and what, what would you say was some of the most significant um, kind of projections they were making if this were to occur that has happened today? Well, the American Medical Association says it far better than I can. So uh, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to read uh, for about 45 seconds of what the American Medical Association said. Mm -hmm. um, they said that, quote, that medicine formerly strong and vigorous must soon degenerate if abortion is embraced. Imagine the effect of such a course on people kept up for several successive generations. We see, in fact, the seeds of decay if the root becomes diseased, the disease must sooner or later extend to the branches. The establishment and spread of abortion, the greatest curse which could befall the human family. Now just stop right there. The American Medical Association said that abortion is the greatest curse that could befall the human family. They continue, if this curse cannot be controlled now, 
it is not likely ever to be reached hereafter. It becomes a national sin. Again, the words of the American Medical Association. It becomes a national sin, and national sins merit and may receive national punishments. The future of the profession of medicine in this country and the character of that profession will depend on the course pursued by teachers of the present day. But to turn out on the public young doctors without principle, without a sense of moral responsibility, is to entail a curse on society, which does not die with their natural lives, but may descend to other times and to other generations, end quote. That's what the American Medical Association said would happen to a society that embraced abortion. It points very, very poignantly, Dr. Fitzhugh, to what we see, I think, today in the fact that we live in a nation that at least in the institution of the education institutions across the nation have really turned their back on God because the fact that you have the American Medical Association talking about things such as a national sin and the need for punishment if if the medical community changed its mind on abortion, it shows that there's a level of morality um, deeply ingrained in medicine obviously God-given if they're talking about sin um, and talking about culpability here. Yes. And in fact, the reason that the American Medical Association spoke out in this regard and so strongly is because they felt it was their duty. They said that it's clear that the clergy, and this is in the late 1800s, they said that the clergy weren't doing their job, that the politicians weren't doing their job, and that law enforcement wasn't doing their jobs. The teachers and educators in colleges were not doing their job in protecting innocent human life. And therefore, because of this essentially dereliction of responsibility, it becomes the duty of the American Medical Association to take on the responsibility and to vociferously defend life. Again, this is from the American Medical Association. And in fact, um, in 1859, they actually lobbied all the legislators. They wrote a letter to the president, um, official American Medical Association documents that specifically asked for further prohibition on abortion and strengthening the punishment of abortion as a crime. Um, These are the laws, in fact, that were established that stayed in place until... 1973 Roe versus Wade. I mean, places like Michigan and others actually still had these laws in place. And immediately when Roe v. Wade was overturned, those laws went back into place. And I mean, people such as in the state of Michigan, especially the governor there, did everything in her power, or should I say abusing power, to make sure that abortion was still accessible because she was shocked by the fact that her state had a radically pro-life law, like many of the states across the nation that the American Medical Association had helped to implement. And I think what you just said a moment ago was so important that the American Medical Association stepped up and drew the line in the sand and advocated for pro-life laws because clergy, politicians, and law enforcement were failing to do their duty to protect innocent human life. This is what we are up against yet again in the 21st century. That statement is just as relevant for us today in 
it points the fact that we all need to lean in and step up and speak up because today the American Medical Association isn't standing up for human life. Um, our clergy, it can be a difficult point of contention whether or not it's discussed publicly at times, unfortunately. And thanks be to God to those who are willing to publicly and passionately stand their ground on the fight for human life and its morality. Now, our politicians, you know, things have become very political and law enforcement, uh, law enforcement protects what is the law. And unfortunately, abortion is still legal in many states in this nation and illegal in some, but they're still following an old precedence of abortion being legal. And so you're in these murky waters where everyone's just saying, hey, life is a little gray. There's no such thing as black and white, but that's not what we knew as a society even just a hundred years ago on the issue of abortion. That's right. Yeah, things have totally changed. And uh, strange that the American Medical Association came out so strongly after the Dobbs decision, because the things that were reactivated were the state laws that the American Medical Association wanted put into place to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's really remarkable. Their own laws that they lobbied for have become reactivated. Joining me today on Trending is Dr. Fritz Baumgartner. He's a surgeon at Lakewood Regional Medical Center. He is a very strong pro-life voice in the medical community. Uh, Dr. Fritz, let's talk a little bit more about this because I think it's an important topic for people to understand. Here, the American Medical Association unequivocally it was pro-life, helped to implement the pro-life laws that even stand today in some of our states. Now, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, within moments and hours of the overturning in June, um, the American Medical Association's president makes a public statement saying that this was wrong and deeply disturbing, that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Um, where do we go from now in the medical community? I know you've worked with medical students. How do you address this when you have the American Medical Association that's radically pro-abortion? Um, you have the American College of Gynecologists who are radically pro-abortion. Where do medical students fit into that education when even the American Medical Association said and predicted that this would be dependent upon who the teachers were uh, producing the physicians that would come. It's really an uphill battle. And the, the most important step is education. I mean, if the people don't know what the American Medical Association actually said from its inception, if people don't know what the Hippocratic Oath actually says, um, you know, then you live in a world which is not based on truth, but based on fantasy based on illusion, based on whatever you want the populace to believe in. And it becomes, um, it becomes uh, what's the, the word, mass formation psychosis into a reality that is an artificial reality. It's not what medicine is all about. It's not what medicine is meant to be. It's not Hippocratic medicine. It's a really distorted and perverted medicine and the American Medical Association actually went so far as to compare the abortion mentality to the uh, Aztec sacrifices. Um, they actually called them um, uh, unprovoked murder. Their blood will cry to heaven for vengeance, the crime and all its hideous deformity. Um, they say that it's similar to the sacrifices offered uh, in the past, but these modern sacrifices are offered by our modern 
high priests, the abortionists. These aren't my words. This is the words of the American Medical Association. Wow. They actually so compared it to child sacrifice from um, centuries earlier in uh, the the cultures that embraced that kind of um, you know sacrifices to false gods. They that's and, what they compared abortion to. And that's what it is. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, if we bring in the spiritual component of what is happening in our culture right now, um, you see the even the infighting within the pro-life community itself today. Um, the, these disagreements, these disputes, um, that the devil is in the details. He's so upset that the human sacrifice of abortion is not occurring today. Uh, and he is lashing out, especially those who speak up and stand up for life. And that's why you know, if we are not being uh, intentional and diligent as as Catholics in being in a state of grace, going to confession, receiving our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist, it becomes very difficult to stand against the voices who will so passionately and aggressively and at times violently fight against our voice for life in the culture, even though we have a winning argument, the pro-abortion argument. I talked about this yesterday on Trending. We talked about Chris Rock, the comedian, and his comments he just made in a recent comedy skit about abortion. He spoke a lot of truth, and he actually provided an opportunity for us to talk to people about abortion right now. Um, but the problem is, is that we often don't feel comfortable bringing that conversation um, into the light with people who we think disagree with us, and yet we should be able to. It's a quote-unquote normal thing happening today, so if it's so normal and common and should be so okay, we should be very okay in talking about it. Yeah, well, in the Aztec culture, it was also very common and mm-hmm. taken for granted um, to have this... Uh, this type of sacrifice. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's just fascinating. If you want to think about making uh, sort of a sacrifice to Satan or a sacrifice to the devil, you'd be hard-pressed to think of uh, a more appropriate sacrifice than abortion. And, in fact, the what is the Satanic Temple, I think that's the one that actually says that abortion is their religious ritual and want to yes. receive a religious exemption to do abortion. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I truly think that, well, if you look at medicine and you look at motherhood, motherhood is probably, well, it is the most sacred profession on earth. You take the sacred profession of motherhood, you look at medicine, it is such a profoundly holy profession. You're actually intervening in people's lives to save their lives, to help their health, make them better, get them back to the state that they were in. Both those professions are profoundly holy. You take both of them and you combine them into the killing of unborn children. And I truly believe that abortion is worse than ordinary murder. I truly believe that. Because it takes something, two things, both profoundly holy, and distorts them, it desecrates them into something unrecognizable. 
Mm-hmm. And it takes something that has such a beautiful nature in and of itself, the care, the medical care and nourishment uh, for human beings through medicine, the, the care and loving nourishment of a mother for her child, and you break and sever that nature. And we are seeing all kinds of crises that are unfathomable. And I think I talked about this last week, one of the uh, very, very sad fruits I think of the pro-abortion community really just hit me right between the eyes just a couple months ago at the beginning of the year I spent five days in the NICU with my uh, newborn baby and we were in the NICU there were two two units of NICU side by side Um, there I only ever saw that those entire five days one other parent ever with one of those other children there were children who were completely abandoned in the NICU. And I, I do add that caveat, you know, I know some people have to work, they need to financially support those babies, but the fact that there were no parents in there, morning, noon, and night, I was there 24-7, I was looking at this and just thought, we have come to such a pro-abortion culture and such a strong level of detachment from human beings and the nurturing of innocent babies uh, that the severing of motherhood has gone so deep in this radical pro-abortion culture and even this medical culture that we would even just be like so blasé about the fact that we could toss away human life even leaving a child grant yes wonderful with a physician to be cared for but alone with the physician not to be nurtured by those who know this baby and have have brought this baby into this world and have a special connection with him or her yeah well it certainly has led to a callousness of society when you figure that you know one in four um between one in four and one in three pregnancies end up in abortion, um, you know, it's got to affect society. It has mm-hmm. to affect society. And it's a pretense to think that it doesn't affect society. Of course it does. I mean, it, you know, and that doesn't even include, um, you know, abortifacing properties of contraception. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just take all these into account, what percent of the American population has I hate to say it, but literally committed murder um, from abortion or from or ba- yes. uh, abortifacient medications. I mean, it's, it affects us. It affects our sensibilities. It affects the coarsening of the culture. Of course it affects us. That's a whole other topic that I want to unpack here with you as soon the American College of Gynecologists um, position on that and the sullying of right and wrong in terms of medicine. Uh, we talked about it before, what they've done to make it seem like it's not killing a baby by taking uh, the plan B, RU46, or even contraception that, like you said, actually does function, can function as an abortion. That's another topic for another day, but if you have some questions about that, we're going to post a link on social media in the episode notes if maybe it's the first time you've ever heard that you're shocked that contraception could actually function as an abortion it can function both ways to prevent sperm and egg from eating but also to destroy a new human life so we'll include that in the episode notes for today's show and on social media uh dr fritz i want to come back and talk about um if you're in the medical profession what networks are available that are pro-life and have a faith-filled dimension to support pro-life voices, ethical, moral voices in the medical community. We're also going to come back talking about the current status of medical students and their attitude toward the Hippocratic Oath and abortion. Dr. Fritz has key insights as he has published research on this specific issue. We'll be right back here on Trending.
You're listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Happy Friday. Joining me today on Trending, we're talking about abortion with Dr. Fritz Baumgartner. He's a surgeon at Lakewood Regional Medical Center in Southern California, and he is a UCLA graduate of their medical school. Uh, We're talking about the attitude of the current medical community toward abortion, and we're going to transition into medical students and their approach to abortion today. It really is interesting. Dr. Fritz has been on the front end of research and publishing a survey of data touching on what UCLA medical students uh, think about the Hippocratic Oath, that oath that historically physicians have always taken uh, to protect and defend human life, to do no harm, and to not participate in things such as abortion and euthanasia. Uh, Joining me now again to discuss this is Dr. Fritz Baumgartner. Dr. Fritz, what do you make of the current state of young, aspiring physicians, nurses, physician assistants, doctors, with regard to their approach with regard to the Hippocratic Oath and abortion? I think that a lot of the uh, young physicians just want to survive. Um, They see all the restrictions on medicine, um, how it really is harder these days to be a physician than it used to be. The restrictions, the all the the, um, uh, the electronic medical records, everything, all these things take away time from the patient. And so they, they basically, at this point, they just say, look, this is overwhelming. We just want to survive. We just want to get through this. And um, yeah, I teach um, students and, um, you know, I ask them, you know, what the Hippocratic Oath says. And I would say 99% of the time, they don't know. They say, well, it says do no harm. And well, yes, implicitly, it does say do no harm. But what explicitly does the Hippocratic Oath say? I graduated from the UCLA School of Medicine in 1984. They gave us the Hippocratic Oath. Um, I took the oath. I didn't really think anything of it uh, until 20 years later, uh, when I actually read the oath. I said, oh my gosh, this is very explicit. It says, quote, I will give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, nor suggest any such counsel. Furthermore, I will not give to a woman an instrument to produce abortion. With purity and holiness, I will pass my life and practice my art, end quote. This is a direct quote from the Hippocratic Oath that we were given as students of the UCLA School of Medicine. This is what the oath was all about. This is the oath we took. You know, and it's, it's mind-boggling. <clears throat> ever since the Dobbs decision, I have never once heard anybody ever even pose the question about what the Hippocratic Oath actually says. Was the Dobbs decision consistent with the Hippocratic Oath or not consistent with the Hippocratic Oath? And clearly... Um, it's consistent with the Hippocratic Oath of physicians, but sadly, the overwhelming majority of physicians do not even know what their own Hippocratic Oath says. Mm. It's interesting how easily we can commit to something in our culture very blasely 
without actually understanding or knowing. And what you just gave is a perfect example of when you're going through and maybe you're getting the new terms and agreement from a Spotify or Apple and you agree to it without reading it and you move along. Isn't that sad that people have, in the past have had that same attitude in a certain respect with regard to the Hippocratic Oath that, as you have pointed out before in some of your writing, that it's a 2,400-year-old oath that physicians have always taken up until recent history where to date we really know of only one medical school that still actually gives the Hippocratic Oath to current graduating students to say. Actually, I don't think there are any. Is that right? Is that the original Hippocratic Oath that they give? I thought 10 years ago I thought there was one uh, medical school, but I don't believe there are any now, actually. Wow, wow. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, in some of the research I was just looking, and it was older. I think it was about seven or eight years ago it claimed yeah, one, but I didn't yeah. even know it was a modified version oh, of the Hippocratic Oath. Oh, so it was oath. a mod. Yeah, I mean, they have modified the oath. Uh, even the ones after I graduated, about uh, several years after that, they had a modified Hippocratic Oath where they eliminated the stipulations of the original Hippocratic Oath. Well, you know, you can't really call it a Hippocratic Oath if you eliminate these stipulations. And I find mm -hmm. it fascinating that they still think that the Hippocratic Oath is important. They think it's important enough to use it and to say that they use it and say, yes, we're graduated from medical school, we followed Hippocratic Oath, but for heaven's sake, what does the Hippocratic Oath say? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very sloppy when you say you follow the Hippocratic Oath, but you don't really. And in fact, um, if you look at the, the Nuremberg trials after World War II, which condemned the Nazi atrocities, the physicians that were put on trial, they claimed to have followed the Hippocratic Oath, which just goes to show how malleable interpretation of the Hippocratic Oath is, unless you actually follow what the words actually say. And it's interesting that you bring that up because the fact that physicians during Nazi Germany were using the Hippocratic Oath in some ways to justify what they were doing shows that this was, again, still a gold standard less than a hundred years ago and that people were trying to interpret it, even people with very confused minds in mm. the medical community. Um, I'm looking actually at a modified version of the Hippocratic Oath um, that you had actually researched from 1964. And I'd like to just read from it for a moment, uh, going from a Hippocratic Oath that talks about doing no harm um, to a patient, not recommending anything for abortion, you know, working to save a life, never anything having to do with end of life. This modified version of the Hippocratic Oath that people were stating says this, it may also be within my power to take a life. This awesome responsibility must be faced with great humbleness and awareness of my own frailty. Above all, I must not play at God. So even back into the 60s, when the Hippocratic Oath was being modified, there was this acknowledgement that I'm not supposed to play God, but at the same time, there's this awesome responsibility I have that it may be within my power as a physician to actually take a life. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you look at surveys of what physicians think about, for example, euthanasia, um, if you look 20 years ago, the majority of physicians did not approve of, of euthanasia. 
Uh, now, uh, more recently, the polls show that the majority of physicians actually uh, do approve of euthanasia, uh, which is a fascinating uh, turn of um, priorities and where human life is no longer sacrosanct, that you, there are times where, according to the modern physician, you can take a human life, and it's okay, um, which is totally anathema to the Hippocratic Oath and what it means to be a physician. And so, of course, the same with, with abortion. Um, you know, there are two ends of the same extreme. It's fascinating to me that Hippocrates knew that uh, in 400 B.C. He saw the bookends of life, the beginning, the moment of conception until the end natural death. And he said, you have to preserve those bookends, the beginning and the end of life. And if you preserve those bookends, then the rest of medicine falls into place. But if you distort, if you violate and desecrate those bookends, what do you have left in medicine? You mess everything up. It was interesting because Hippocrates himself and his school really had this um, thought that if that oath was thrown out, what would happen? What was his attitude if that was ignored? The, the end of the Hippocratic Oath is very interesting because they say that if physicians uh, practice this oath and keep true to it, then their life will be um, filled with good things and um, bl uh, temporal and spiritual blessings. But if they violate the oath, then they would be cursed. They would uh, have uh, misery, temporal and uh, spiritual um, uh, devastation on themselves and the practice of medicine. And isn't that interesting? Because I think according to worldly standards, you know, you have a lot of physicians out there um, who have practiced abortion and uh, maybe have converted to the pro-life position, and they share about how confusing and damaging a period in their life was, how there was this inconsistency within them. Um, but then you see the abortionists who have stuck through with it. You think of Gosnell. Um, and some of the other, even late-term abortionists, and how messy the end of their um, practice in life was when they were found out, like, what they did, it was so ugly. It wasn't just that they were performing abortions. They were sexually abusing and manipulating people, and they were doing all kinds of other ugly and filthy behaviors. And then today, to look at what some of our current abortionists are doing, in the last five or ten years, these abortionists, often working directly with specifically Planned Parenthood, are the exact same people who are prescribing so-called cross-sex hormones, um, so-called therapeutic services to minors who are confused about their sexuality. Like, they are doing harm in so many areas of a human person's life and the natural development of a human individual, whether through the thwarting and death of abortion and contraception or through the damaging in prevention, the stymieing of uh, puberty, the onset of puberty or the continuation of puberty in minors by giving them these cross-sex hormones. I mean, this is who is doing this and they're living very, very, very sick and twisted uh, ideologies today. Well, it really is. It's an unhinging from truth. It's an unhinging from reality. So if you say... Um, you know, if you violate reality, if you change the definition of conception from fertilization to implantation, if you say, well, 
you know, the growing, developing human life in a mother's womb is not a human life. Uh, if you say, well, yes, uh, XX and XY are fluid um, uh, determinants of, of how you feel uh, on a particular day, um, you know, when you, when you violate reality, then it's a disaster. It's a, a total disaster, and it affects the practice of medicine, and it affects society. If medicine itself has become so unhinged that a boy can become a girl and a girl can become a boy, how can you trust anything in medicine? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, I, I think back on, on Nietzsche, the, the philosopher from the 1800s, and he says something very apt to this conversation. He says that words are but symbols. Nowhere do they touch upon absolute truth. And therefore, whichever interpretation prevails at a given time is a function of power and not truth. And so basically what this type of philosophy says is there is no such thing as truth. It's your interpretation, and the interpretation that rules is whoever has the power. Isn't that frightening that it all is arbitrary? Everything's arbitrary. It's according to my definition of reality, my definition of morality, my justification of what is right and wrong. That whole you do you statement, people don't realize how twisted that actual idea is. I do want to touch very quickly in the last uh, moments we have here uh, on resources because I know your study um, that from UCLA looking at graduates in 2018, you thought that if you told graduates what the Hippocratic Oath was um, and the connection to abortion that they would want to take it, but in fact more and more they didn't want to once they actually understood what it was. that said, you have this whole slew of the majority of medical students coming out who are okay with abortion, okay with taking life via abortion, euthanasia, and contraception, prescription. Um, what do you do if you are a medical student, a medical professional, a nurse, an aspiring nurse, um, to be in a pro-life network? What groups and organizations are out there today? Well, to answer that question, it's the Catholic Medical Association. They are really a sturdy, strong, good organization based on truth. And they have a medical student chapter of the Catholic Medical Association. Very, very important to get support and to get resources from that because medical school is very hard. You just want to survive. It is so brutally hard. Um, yeah, UCLA was, was just absolutely very brutal, very hard, and you just want to survive. And so... Um, most pro-life um, medical students just basically, you know, hang low, do their job, do their best. And when they go through the OBGYN rotation, you know, basically avoid things that would violate their faith, just like I did. Uh, I didn't speak out. I kept my mouth shut, did my job, but certainly steered away from anything that would violate my conscience. Um, and uh, But, yeah, so... so in terms of resources, the Catholic Medical Association is a great resource. For um, OBGYN, there's the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, who uh, are a great resource. Um, and, and by the way, it's interesting that they were allowed to present or to participate, to exhibit at the 
ACOG meeting, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, but this year have been turned down from participating, from exhibiting in the meeting, you know, as likely a direct result of the Dobbs decision. It's it's quite mm-hmm. fascinating that in a world where, uh, you know, embracing different ideas and diversity of opinion and inclusion is so important that they would be excluded because they follow the Hippocratic Oath. It's quite shocking. Uh, uh, but anyway, those two organizations are very good resources, um, and they're uh, pro-life medical school chapters. Um, but the most important thing about medical school is surviving. It's, it's a very, very hard um, life for four years, and you just want to survive. And, uh, but always stay true to the faith. That's, that's the thing. You can get through it. Um, you can get through. You just have to stay true to the faith. Um, and I believe her- that uh, Students for Life, last time I knew, still had chapters for pro-life medical students as well. We'll post a link to all yeah. of this. The American Associ- Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, as well as Catholic Medical Association. Uh, very important networks to be in if you're an aspiring um, into the medical community, if you're currently in the medical community, or even if you're an executive in the medical community and not per se a nurse or physician or doctor. Um, I really recommend you get connected to these groups to help yourself as well as your peers in navigating the very difficult ethical questions of today in medicine. Thank you so much for joining me today on Trending. That is Dr. Fritz Baumgartner. He's the surgeon at Lakewood Regional Medical Center in Southern California. We'll be right back today on Trending discussing the theology of distraction and very interesting thing that happened to me earlier today that made me ponder um, our level of responsibility in the pro-abortion culture we live in. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Okay, fascinating experience, fascinating, really very sad experience today, but it really led me to think about um, the tie to abortion and some of the first sins ever committed by the human person. And so this is what happened. I was driving on the freeway today and, you know, flying by like most of the other cars and I'm driving northbound and on the southbound side of the freeway um, facing toward the center divider is this man. And I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but really making me nervous lately, the fact that I've been running into encounter after encounter where there have been people walking on the side of the freeway or just standing on the side of the freeway near no car um, and just for some reason they're there and I, I always wonder if you know they're they're looking for an attempted suicide or what, what they're trying to do there but basically there's this man on the side of the freeway and he starts hopping up and down he looked like he was kind of like pumping himself up to make a run across the freeway whether to stupidly try this or to do this as a way out via suicide and immediately I started praying for him just my gut was like this isn't good and I thought oh there are all these people someone's gonna call 911 you know I don't have to call someone's going to call 911 and then all of a sudden I realized 
No, I'm that someone. Even if someone else calls, all of us could have this attitude of someone's going to call 911. Praise God for our first responders. You know, I was able to reach out and it, probably the quickest response I have ever had from a first responder before I could say much more than this is where I'm at. This is the closest exit. I'm going on the northbound side. He was on the southbound side. They paused, quickly sent someone through dispatch and then started gathering the rest of the information. Praise God for our first responders. I pray for that man. I hope you will too. I pray for his soul. Um, anytime we see people in trouble, we should really be pray for them, pray for their soul, that whether it's through this or uh, some other circumstance, that God draws him to them and that they are with him in heaven. Uh, but what I realized in that moment is it was one of those moments where, like in Genesis chapter 4, you know, we know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel, and he kills his brother Abel. And when, when God approaches him about this, uh, asking where Abel is, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And I had this moment where I realized I didn't want to be my brother's keeper in a certain respect. I assumed that someone else would do it. And in the radical pro-abortion culture we live in, in a culture where um, the most horrific and saddest things about life and death worldwide touch us in an instant at our fingertips through the news, through phone, through communication. It's very easy for us to be disconnected from the responsibility we have in the culture. I think in a very pro-abortion culture, we've justified death. We've looked very blasély at the responsibility for human life, especially innocent human life. And we're quick to say, well, someone else will do something about that. Or I'm not the mom. That mom can choose to kill that baby. Or I'm not the dad. Or, you know, always making this reason for why I'm not the person to do something in my power that I can. And again, I come back to some of the very first sins we know. Cain and Abel. Cain, after killing Abel, and God asks him where his brother is, says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to us is yes, we are our brother's keeper. We do need to recall that responsibility we have for our neighbors and not turn in on ourselves in a culture of instant communication that shares with us too much information about things that we can't do. Because there is much we can do in our own communities. Whether it's that person on the side of the freeway who looks like they may attempt suicide. Whether it's the fact that there's an abortion clinic five minutes from your house and you can go and wake up early on a Saturday morning or whenever it is to go and pray. Stand out there, hold literature, offer resources, smile at people who are coming by, take a stand for life, be that last person to intervene before that mother steps into that abortion clinic. Make sure she knows someone was willing to stand there, even if it was a stranger, because you recognize you were a keeper of the people in your neighborhood, in your community. And that was, I think, the stark reminder I had today when I almost excused myself from having that responsibility, uh, shirking that responsibility for someone in my own community, in my own proximity. We might not be able to change things on the other side of the world with what's happening in Iraq or Lebanon or Africa, all these different places, but there are opportunities every day for us to take a level of responsibility for those whom we encounter directly in our lives. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Uh, I've been excited to dive into the topic of theology of distraction. 
I think it's an important topic, and I wanted to really do it justice and not rush this idea, but it was fascinating. I'll leave a little teaser for this. After I was reading Near Isle's book, uh, Indistractable, he was my guest yesterday on Trendy. If you weren't with us, you need to go and listen to the podcast. But basically, uh, as I was reading through the book, it's fascinating always to me to see how scientific our church, our faith, the moral and spiritual theology of the church is. As I was reading some of the research data on distraction and um, some of those four psychological uh, things that are factors that get in the way of our satisfaction in life, it astounded me that the real answer to this, the real answer to the things we discussed yesterday, whether it be boredom or this negativity kind of automatic attitude we have toward what happens in the world leading us to turn to distractions uh, how at the end of the day if we do not have a faith-filled virtuous life we're going to succumb to every distraction and every temptation in the culture but with the sacraments with a grace-filled life and with the pursuit and gift of virtue we can withstand whatever temptation or challenge, whether it be technology, peer pressure, whatever that might be, we can take a stand against it. So Monday during our weekly happy hour here on Trending, I'm going to talk about the theology of distraction, how we can overcome it, use some of the sound psychological data out there and how it lines up with the virtues. And also I'll be joined by a psychoanalyst who specializes in behavioral therapy and she's also a hermited nun. So join me Monday for our happy hour. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Do you want to make a change in your life? Join us for our weekly happy hour on Monday. A behavioral psychologist who's also a hermited nun will join us for our weekly happy hour. We're going to talk about behavior modification, uh, making those tune-ups in your life that you want to during Lent and in general. So join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.